This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to you. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Samson Folk, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Alex Wong. He's co-author, next to Sean Woodley, for We the Champs, Toronto Raptors' historic run to the 2019 NBA title. He also has bylines and he contributes to Yahoo Sports, New York Times, and GQ. Uh, a prolific writer, as it were. How are you doing, man? <laughs> hey, man. Uh, really excited to be on. You know, it's been a week uh, plus a day since the Raptors won the championship and still not sick of it. Just as the first question before anything gets too crazy in this conversation, what was it like trying to, because when I'm flipping through the book, I'm reading it, I'm seeing that you guys posted it immediately after the title come, like they win the title, and I'm also seeing a recap of game six. How does that work? Like, How do you accomplish that? Yeah, so we were on a pretty strict deadlines during the finals um, where the majority of the book really came together. And, you know, for the individual recaps that we had to write for each game, we had to send that in, I believe, by 11 in the morning the next day of every game. And for specifically when you're talking about game six, the clincher, we actually had to send that in by three in the morning that evening. So um, basically, Sean and I kind of coordinated that. I wrote that final story for game six, I think at one in the morning. So shortly after the game was over. And I think that was the last piece that we needed to get in the book. And that's when the publisher kind of sent it to the printers. I believe they had to send to the printers the next day, probably. And that's what, what do you feel like as you know that it's going into a book immediately after you write it? Like, it's not like there's any turnaround. It's just like right then it's like the next day it's getting printed. Yeah, it's kind of remarkable, you know, just the whole project. Um, just a little backstory. Um, Triumph Books, which is the publisher, I reached out 
to us um, before the start of the NBA Finals. This is something that they do every season, a commemorative book. So the problem is, well, number one, one of the teams is going to win, one of the teams is going to lose. So they have to have kind of both sides ready. So we were putting together the book knowing that if the Raptors lost in the Finals, this wasn't going to get published, even though we would have had to have all the work ready. So I guess that was kind of a risk on our end, but um, it it just got really exciting after they went up 3-1. I think Sean and I had a conversation that, you know, this is actually happening. Because, you know, it feels so long ago, but at the start of the NBA Finals, I feel like, you know, a lot of people in Toronto were just happy that, that the Raptors were in the Finals. And now we get this chance to play against the Warriors and who knows when Kevin Durant is coming back, but we're just kind of happy to be here in a way. And then once they went up three, one, this, everything just became real. And so like you're reached out to by the publisher to write this book. And is it because they see your unique take on a lot of things like how there's a lot of rappers, writers, obviously like Blake, Eric and Vivek and will spend a lot of time with the Raptors. Uh, Blake at one point told me that you spend a lot of time in opposing teams' locker rooms. How are you the guy that they say, like, Alex, we saw what you wrote about the security guard. You've got a cool take on all these types of things. <laughs> You're the guy. And then also, yeah. Sean, how do you guys get pulled in? Yeah, so, you know, the publisher had reached out to me first. Um, and I think, you know, they probably did scour, kind of look at all the talented writers in Toronto. You know, I'm not sure how many people they reached out to. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I wouldn't even give myself credit to say that there's anything unique that separates me from a lot of the other writers too. Everybody here does great work. I think it was more finding someone who, uh, might have the work schedule and the time to be able to pull this together. You know, obviously number one, I think having the experience of being around the team and having followed and covered the Raptors for, for several years was definitely beneficial. Um, you know, when they reached out to me for me, because I was doing a lot of coverage for Yahoo Sports Canada for the finals, uh, based on the schedule of, of what we needed to pull together, it was just impossible as, as a one person job. And, you know, I reached out to Sean because, you know, I feel like Sean also has a really good pulse uh, on the team. And, you know, I've really always enjoyed the coverage that he put together. So, you know, I reached out to him and I know, like, unfortunately, he didn't get credentialed for the finals so i figured like this would be a good spot for him to get involved with something uh in the finals and it just seemed to make sense so you know i kind of pulled him in explained to him kind of how the work would be split up and things like that and you know he was more than excited to join and, and you know once i had him on board i felt much better uh, about the project just because there was a lot of heavy lifting that we had to do kind of that first week of the of the finals yeah, that's, that's so interesting. I remember right after they won and I see you guys posting about it, I thought immediately, I was like, that's such a cool idea. And I didn't know the background <laughs> of Triumph of publishing, doing that like every year. And I thought you guys just of your own volition were like, hey, yeah, we decided to put this together. I know you've published a book on your own before. I was like, wow, you guys are geniuses. I thought it was so clever. Yeah, and well, I still, you know, ha think ha happy, really cool. happy to take credit. Happy to take, happy to take credit, even though that wasn't our idea. <laughs> Yeah, but. so I guess let's, let's focus on, on your take. And so let's say it's 2011. You're still an accountant, and I have access to a version of you that's just starting to write about sports. I tell you that, A, the Raptors are going to win the championship in 2019, and B, <laughs> that you're going to be the guy writing the book commemorating it. What does that version <laughs> of Alex Wong say? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think I would need to know, you know, all the steps that would have happened from, from 2011 to 2019, not just for me personally, but for the team, for the Raptors, for, for us to even get to this point. Um, you know, I think for a lot of us following the Raptors throughout the years and, and even in the successful years, the last five seasons, it was always so hard to envision that championship, right? Like even last season when they had the 59 wins and just this remarkable regular season. And a lot of us, including myself, was willing to talk myself into the fact that, you know, this is a chance for them, not necessarily to win the championship, but definitely to finally maybe make the NBA finals. And for the way last season ended, it was so disappointing. And I know all of this seems so long ago. Like I barely even remember the start of the playoffs. Like when I think back to the DJ Augustin game one, I'm like, man, that was like only two months ago. But like to go from even last summer and then Kawhi Leonard coming and, you know, all the drama this season with the low management and, you know, the midseason trade of Marcus Ole, like it's just so many things have to happen for for us to get to this place. And, and it's remarkable to me, both from a, a personal standpoint, but obviously with the team's progression as well. So let's pretend, obviously 2011 was when Kawhi Leonard was drafted, but also <laughs> let's pretend we probably wouldn't have thought if we're having that conversation in 2011 that he's on the team and that the 15th overall pick of that year is and an NBA Finals MVP down the road. Who would you have thought would have led the team of that roster? So we're talking like Linus Klaza, Sonny Weems, <laughs> Bargnani, DeMar. Who, who would you have thought has the meteoric rise, the Pascal Siakam ascension that would have taken that version of the Raptors to a 2019 title? You know, definitely none of the names that you named. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I'm going to say Andrew Wiggins because people forget, you know, when Kyle was almost traded to the Knicks, you know, the, the Raptors were ready for a full teardown. You know, when Tim Laiwiki was brought in, when Masai was here, that was when the We The North campaign started. And that was when Drake's partnership started with the team. And the thing I think a lot of people forget is that, you know, no, no discredit to everything that Drake has done in terms of being a face for the franchise. He was brought in to really be a guy to kind of tide the franchise over while they were going through a long rebuild. Like, like that was the original plan. And obviously the trade doesn't happen. And, you know, the Raptors make this five, six year run in the playoffs with DeMar and Kyle. But, you know, I'm going to say Andrew Wiggins because in an alternate universe, you know, Kyle is traded, DeMar is traded, the Raptors tank. They somehow get into the lottery. And, and, and you know, I know there's a lot of gripes about Wiggins' game. But if you're making me pick in an alternate universe, I'm going to say Andrew Wiggins leading the Raptors to a championship. Well, that, that kind of makes sense because for me <laughs> at that time, Andrew Wiggins, his high school mixtape was revolutionary. It was like everybody was watching it. They're like, oh, my God. His spin move into that two-foot plant for a dunk over seemingly anybody at the rim was one of the craziest things. And you're like, of course it'll translate. Yeah, there was a there was a, like two, three-month period there at the start of, I think, the 2013-14 season where that it was clear that that was what the direction that the Raptors are headed towards. And, you know, it's always funny for me to go back and think about that. Like, obviously, there's been so many different stories told about how the Kyle trade fell apart. The fact that I think Iman Shumpert had a really good month made the Knicks hesitate. Obviously, James Dolan might have had some cold feet because of 
the fallout from the Andrea Bargnani trade. But man, that's like when you think about the Raptors going from where they were to where they are now, it's like you can point to so many different like one move here and one move there. If it goes another way, like this doesn't happen. And I think it just when I think about it, it just makes me appreciate how hard winning a championship is. Like it's really hard. Yeah, that's the thing. And also, just to cover the one part of it, it's crazy that Andrew Wiggins, that when he was at Kansas, everybody was like, well, at the very least, he'll be an elite defender. And the fact that, like, even go back to 2011, Clay Thompson, nobody thought he'd be a good defender. Everyone thought Andrew Wiggins would be terrific. Crazy how we look at these players and decide these things. And like you said, yeah, there's so many different things that decide who becomes a champion. Steph Curry, having his ankles be a big problem early on in his career so that he could be an MVP on a $12 million a year deal so they could sign Iggy and then eventually when the cap goes up, sign Durant. All those things fall into place when it seems like it's a bad thing at the time for Curry to have his ankles be like that, helped build the dynasty. And for the Raptors, like even there were rumors that Masai was shopping Kyle Lowry at the trade deadline this year in a three-way trade with the Grizzlies and Utah. All those crazy things, and like you said, Iman Shumpert had a good month. Iman Shumpert had a good month, and that <laughs> meant that Kyle Lowry didn't go to the Knicks. It's madness, all of it. It, it is, and, you know, like Marcus Gasol was almost traded to the Hornets. I, I think they were haggling over a draft pick or something like that, and, and the deal fell through at the deadline this season. And the Raptors don't win a title without Marcus Gasol. Like, for as great as Kawhi was in the playoffs like if that trade doesn't happen the raptors are probably out in the second round or the conference finals Get gold today. here's the scenario you're injured in a collision and your insurance company is denying your claim it happens far too often if it happens to you call me brian goldfinger of goldfinger personal injury law my team and i work for people just like you we don't accept cases on behalf of insurance companies, so you and your family can make sure that you're in good hands. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. Get Goldfinger today. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, speaking of getting into things like and how many different things there are that go into making a champion, when you were writing the book, what was the thing that surprised you and how interesting it was to delve into? Yeah, I think for me, you know, there's a section in the book where I wrote a series of short features uh, about the main characters of this team, um, Nick Nurse, Masai Ujiri, uh, the starting lineup, and some of the other players too, uh, Serge, Norm, and Fred. And, you know, what I tried to do with those stories and within the word count was not just tell the story of this season, but really try to tell the story, the journey of, of these guys from where they came from in terms of all of Nick's coaching experience in his last two decades and how it got him to this point. Or Masai starting out as an unpaid intern, coming here to Toronto, telling the city repeatedly to believe in themselves and delivering on that. And, you know, the story of Danny Green, he, you know, was in the D-League at the time, um, a long time ago before he joined the Spurs, and how he went from that to becoming you know, the, the glue guy on, on a championship team, both in San Antonio and here in Toronto. And just putting those stories together really just made me appreciate, I think it kind of goes back to the point that I said, um, just how fickle 
all of this is uh, sports and, and basketball and, and honestly the journey of a lot of these guys. Like if Danny doesn't have like three good weeks in the D league uh, and he doesn't get brought back by the Spurs, like where is he now? Um, you know, if Nick doesn't get this opportunity, like, you know, will we ever know that he was actually capable of being an NBA head coach and tactically out coaching most of the other guys that he went up against in the playoffs. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really fun to, to be able to put those stories together and be able to kind of put that capper on it, that these guys are all champions now. And, you know, that was the most fun part for me in terms of going back and really tracing everyone's journey. Yeah, that's, it's so interesting. You brought up that would we have even known Nick nurse would have been good enough to do this and tactically to out coach seemingly Steve Kerr, Mike Budenholzer, Brett Brown, and guys like that. It's, it's interesting. I wonder if there's a parallel there, and feel free to deny this question if you like, but you, a guy who is not white, when there has been historically, you know, writing about sports in Canada, in America, has been one of the things that just, it's white guys who do it. Just middle-aged white dudes write about it. And now you get an opportunity to write the book commemorating the first championship for the Raptors, and also, you've occupied a space in the Raptors blogosphere, writer's sphere, whatever it's ended up being, and a very important space where you write some of the coolest features I've ever seen. You write for the New York Times. And now maybe it's we're getting a wave of new writers and new ideas and new vantage points and viewpoints. Is there any parallel there between Nick Nurse, even though you were saying, like, maybe a guy gets an opportunity to write, and now you see with the writers, yourself, getting an opportunity to write something like that. I know he's white and NBA coaches are white, but I'm saying for you, getting an opportunity to write this book. Is that intriguing to you? Yeah, you know, for sure. I think, you know, beyond getting the opportunity to do this, and like you mentioned, I've, you know, I've had a lot of great opportunities to write for different publications and tell really fun stories. And, you know, I look at it as, you know, not just myself, you know, I think increasingly now with the demand for Raptors content, you know, you look at guys like Will Liu, uh, Vivek, you know, Sirat's doing a, lo a lot of stuff on the national level as well. And the list goes on. Like, I feel like there is this kind of, you know, I don't want to say younger wave because I mean, I'm 35, but like, like you said, there's a more diverse group of writers uh, with a different voice and different perspective that's getting these opportunities now. And, you know, I think you have to give credit to a lot of editors at these places for, for not just taking a chance, but, you know, being willing to let guys like myself, like Will and everyone else to just keep our voice, um, to not try to have to emulate some of these, you know, older generation guys who have occupied these spots for so long. And, you know, the feedback that, you know, I've gotten online just from a lot of the stuff that I've done with Will too recently at Yahoo Sports, such as this Kawhi Watch video series that we've been doing leading up to his free agency, is that I, I think the typical fan just, I think, connects with us more than, than maybe some of the older writers that are in the city because, I think we speak the same language and I think we approach things the same way. Um, you know, I like to think that, you know, the way I like to present my content is that, you know, there's a time to be serious, but you know, you also want to just realize that it's just sports sometimes too. Right. Like, you know, I think 
I've said this before to a lot of people, you know, my least favorite person online is, is, is the person who always just wants to be right. Like being right to me, like being right about a basketball player or being right about a prediction. That's the most boring thing to me about all of this. You know, for me, it's about finding out who these people are, having fun, like telling the stories and just, you know, enjoying the ups and downs, like being a sports fan, following a team all of that stuff, it's it's draining. It's very emotionally draining. And, you know, having the opportunities definitely to, like, write this book and, you know, write at these publications and, and you know, be able to have a voice here in Toronto with this Raptors group. Like, it's great. It's great. I think there's a great community here. And, and most of all, I think a lot of people like yourself, like me, like all of these other people, Will, Blake, Vivek, and everyone, um, we genuinely care. You know, uh, and I think it shows through in the work that, you know, we care. We care about the Raptors. We care about what we do. And I, honestly, I think I think the fans and, and people online and the followers, I think they feel that. And that's why I feel like there's always a connection to, to guys like ourselves. Yeah. Well, you brought up editors having faith in your voice and just maybe not about the book, but specifically about you and your writing. What is the most outrageous thing you've ever pitched to an editor that they said, you know what, I believe in you, you can go tell that story and we'll give you some money for it? What would that be? <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. Honestly, I don't have uh, one answer for you, but I will say, you know, just, you know, working with the Yahoo Sports Canada team with Dan Toman and Mac, my editor, um, I think they've given me a lot of freedom in terms of just trust of, you know, find this story. You know, if you want to tell the story about the security guard, if you want to write about, you know, the craze for Raptors merchandise, I think they trust that, you know, I'll always try to find a way into the story that is unique and different. And, you know, they trust that I'll do the proper reporting uh, to be able to tell a story that can stand on its own versus everything that's out there. And, you know, I think, you know, in my experience as a writer, I, I've never always had that. You know, I, I worked for um, I worked for another place earlier this season, which I left, um, which, you know, uh, I didn't have that kind of freedom and trust. And, you know, I think a lot of these things are earned and, you know, everybody has a different vision. But, you know, it's, it's refreshing to me right now. Um, you know, I'm doing the majority of my Raptors work with Yahoo Sports Canada. Um, and I think you see the work that's being done there. Um, you know, the, the, the editors and the people in power there are really just about letting everyone just follow their own instincts, follow their voices and, and just do what we do. And, you know, that part for me, honestly, is incredible. That's really cool to hear. And that's encouraging for where the industry is going, at least. You've written about, well, in the past, you've written about your basketball career and how it created, you know, connective tissue for you in Canada to learn the language, learn about the country, and to be with the people here. With hockey still dominating, or sorry, being dominated almost completely by white players, white analysts, white fans, white decision makers, what do you make of a growing sport like basketball that seems to engage most every, demo, most every demographic, operating as an arena for friendships and relationships to be made, that might have never been available outside of it? And do those opportunities become more common with the country uniting behind the Raptors? Yeah, you know, I think basketball, especially here in Toronto, is just such a great 
hidden handshake. Not even hidden. I mean, it's pretty public, you know, among the different communities that are here. Um, just having been out the last week, you know, seeing Raptors gear or, you know, when I'm wearing Raptors gear or when my buddy's wearing a fun guy T-shirt, you know, we're having conversations. And, and a lot of those conversations is literally just laughing and cackling with each other about how, yes, like the Raptors are our champions. And, you know, that's the one thing that I've always loved about this community, um, whether it's NBA or, or, you know, just the Raptors as a whole. It's that, you know, there's a lot of like minded people, but it's, there's also a lot of people that come from the same backgrounds. You know, I uh, my parents, you know, and I immigrated here in 1992, 1993, when I was just seven, eight years old. And, you know, when I talk to other people that cover basketball or watch the NBA or our diehard Raptors fans, a lot of us have those similar experiences. You know, and a lot of stories that I've done that's included fan voices, I've always tried to reach out and want to include kind of the minority groups and, and immigrants as well because... You know, I know this is probably a separate conversation, but I know there are certain people that really like to prop up the whole diversity angle of it uh, uh, and, and maybe try to romanticize that a lot. But, you know, for, I think for a lot of us really growing up here and, and feeling like another, uh, feeling like we're not part of the group, you know, basketball was that place for us to, to find all of these people. And we're still finding them today, which I think is beautiful. I guess you're probably referring to certain Twitter threads that propagate uh, more stereotypes yeah, than they I do unite everybody. <laughs> listen, I don't know that guy's name um, off the top of my head right now, but um, I think everybody that's listening to this is aware of who we're talking about. You know, I, I just, you know, I just find it very off-putting, and and I think I'm, I don't think that's even a good enough word to describe that. Like, I think it's just he's exploiting. Um, a lot of these stories and, and narratives and I, I am honestly not sure for what like I, I would love you know if he was covering a Raptors game or if I saw him in person at an event like I really want to have a real conversation with him to, to ask him like like what are you doing like what are you doing yeah it's it's either it seems predatory specifically for internet cloud or he's seemingly misreading very complex socioeconomical things and just kind of putting them out in the simplest form possible so that they can be consumed by the biggest group of people possible, I think. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's like yes, we're aware that a lot of the guys on this Raptors team, you know, unfortunately lost their dads very early on in their lives. But, you know, you don't need to, like, pull that together into some kind of heartwarming sports narrative. Like, that's, that's not how this works. It's, it's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, sometimes sometimes people just endure loss and move forward and deal with that. It doesn't have to be what drives them to be good. It's not, and it's not his place to to place those stories into a narrative for them. It's not. Yeah, I guess speaking about placing things, narratives, and all that. What was there's a lot of things in a book, and I know that book is really concise, the one you wrote. But is there anything that you wished could have made it into the book? that didn't um you know the one thing you know it, within the book too sean wrote a really good i think 1600 word uh season long feature to to kind of touch on the main points of the season Kawhi's arrival 
obviously, and some of the key wins and losses during the season, DeMar's return to Toronto, Mark's acquisition of the trade deadline. You know, if there were more pages, more word count for us to work with, uh, I would have loved to maybe flesh out the regular season a little bit more too. Um, you know, you flip through the book, you know that it's a very compre- it provides very comprehensive coverage of the playoff run. But, you know, the one thing for me is that I feel like you know, Kawhi called the regular season 82 game practice and, you know, it turned out to be pretty good practice for this team. But I think it would have been awesome, you know, in a perfect world. I would have loved to written a series of features and really d- dived into everything that happened during this regular season, because those are things that I think we're going to forget, like even Dwayne Casey coming back for the first time or, you know, DeMar's game you know, when the Spurs came here was so dramatic with, with the Kawhi Leonard steal and dunk at the end, um, being able to flesh those moments more, uh, would have been cool for me, but I totally understand, you know, working with the publisher, they've been great. Um, there's always kind of word count and page restrictions and and things like that. Before, before we get to the final question, I want to ask you, I have something that I didn't think of before this, but you bring up the Twitter thread. I'm kind of interested to ask is, there are things that happen like that, and seemingly people exploit that because they want to get retweets and they really like the engagement that comes with it. When you look at sports writing as a whole, there's, you know, there was that Reddit comment about how you, how you dress, is how a guy wants to dress. He didn't know it was you, but it ended up being you, and it was a picture of you at the game. William Liu out for dinner, getting pictures with fans at the parade saying like, this is the real goat. Like William Liu is the the biggest piece of Raptors, um, the biggest piece of the Raptors championship. Um, Lauren Miles, CJ Miles' wife, being excited about meeting Blake Murphy. What do you think about how intertwined Twitter is with sports writing now and how people typically, fandom keeps getting more and more rampant for more and more things. What do you think about the cult of personality that's starting to kind of become a part of being a sports writer? Yeah, no, I definitely want to answer that. Tell me what happened. I was on Reddit wearing something. <laughs> uh, you posted about it. It was a picture of you and, oh, I thought you posted about it. Maybe somebody else. Um, you posted, <laughs> and it was a picture. You you had those dope Air Forces, the ones with, like, the purple hue on the... Oh yeah, the, the live, laugh, you, the live, laugh, love shoes. Yeah. Hell yeah, live, laugh, yeah. love. Exactly. Yeah. And then somebody on Reddit was like, "Oh, this dude dresses great. This is exactly how I want to dress." Oh yes, yes. Someone did put a comment about that. That I am like his like uh like my aesthetic is what he aspires to. And you know. Yes, exactly. People that, that people that know me know that I'm happy to take any compliments about myself. Um, but to your question, you know, I think. Honestly, I think it's cool, man. I, th- I think it goes back to how a lot of the, the younger writers and the up-and-coming writers are really connecting with the fan base more. And, you know, I think I know a lot of people connect with me because of my background. Like, you know, when I wrote the uh, Jeremy Lin piece in the New York Times this week about why, despite him only playing, I think, 27 minutes in the entire finals run, that his championship means everything to me. And, and Asians... Uh, around the world you know I had a lot of people reach out to me saying you know thank you like thank you for helping to express you know I've been trying to tell my friends why Jeremy Lin being on the stage is so important and all they tell me is that it doesn't matter he's just a ball boy he doesn't play and you know people 
said thanks like you helped express these words and now i can just send this article to people and they can understand why it means so much and you know i think the fans connecting with people like myself like will like blake whoever it is it's it's awesome you know i think it just goes back to the whole thing about community and you know the one thing is i'm always happy to you know engage and, and chat with people who are i guess civil you know I, I think there's as you know and as everyone knows you know there's always a certain segment of the online um fan base that can be uh very extreme or inappropriate or aggressive and things like that um i don't have time for any of that you know i think um you know if you want to be you know engaged in a smart discussion or just you know have some fun whether it's with Kawhi's free agency and things like that without crossing like invading his personal space and things like that i, I think it's awesome and, and you know even events that are being held around the city like you know i think i'll be at a hoop talks next week uh, with a lot of these other guys that you mentioned blake will and others um having that community i think is awesome and that's why honestly that's one of the reasons why i'm hoping Kawhi will come back you know i don't think this team is suddenly going to bottom out next season with or without him obviously they're not a championship contender without him but you know i want i want to see the fan base and i want to see this community build off what's happened this season and you know i want to see the same energy and the same excitement while welcoming a bunch of new fans in for next season i think that would be the most exciting thing i mean what's better than watching a Kawhi Leonard-led Raptors team try to defend a title next season. Like, that sounds incredible to me. Yeah, I think there's there's so much potential provided that he does return because the team, the team as currently constructed with Kawhi on it just brings everybody back, probably tries to become better at the margins and fight off a bit of, I guess, old man river syndrome where... Maybe some players get a little bit worse, Kyle, Gasol, but you hope they don't. And then, you know, Kawhi Leonard still 27-28, leading them into the fray to repeat. And just, I can't imagine what the city would be like if there was a repeat possibility. It would be, it would be crazy to see the fans and the fan base respond to that. Yeah, I think it would be incredible. And, you know, you know, a lot of things have to go right, like we were saying. Like, so many things have to fall in place for a championship to happen and you know health luck all of that stuff and you know maybe the raptors don't get all of that next season you know because the team was relatively healthy especially throughout the playoffs and things worked out and obviously the warriors were shorthanded etc etc you know things don't always work out like that every season every season presents a different challenge but i i think just the specter of the Raptors are the defending champions. And, you know, they, they've brought the whole crew back. They're going to make a run at it. I think the excitement in the city is, is going to be incredible from the start next season if Kawhi comes back. Yeah. Well, I guess one last thing is, you know, take the soapbox, soapbox, take the soapbox and uh, tell people why they should buy this book. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think, Everybody's been kind of, you know, the euphoria of winning the championship, you know, still hasn't worn off. And, you know, I'm not sure when it will. And, you know, I think there's a lot of great commemorative items, uh, you know, that are out in the market, you know, whether it's merchandise um, or whether it's books. You know, obviously, this isn't the only book um, that is out right now celebrating 
the the Raptors season. But I think you know Sean and I put a lot of care into this project um, in terms of knowing exactly what we wanted to accomplish, and you know putting together what we believe is a very comprehensive summary of everything that happened during this season. And you know I, I know that everything is still fresh. And you know if you picked up the book today, you probably remember everything that's in it. But you know these memories will fade. You know whether we want it or not. You know in two years in five years in 10 years, you know, uh, I think it'd be really cool to, to have this book and, and flip through and, and remember, Oh yeah. Remember game four against the Philadelphia 76ers when the Raptors were down two one and Pascal was dealing with an injury and it looked like the sky was falling and you know, no, it, it turned out to be fine because Kawhi hit that huge three pointer and that led us to the game seven buzzer beater. Um, you know, I think aside from the writing in the book, there's a lot of great photography in there, too. So, you know, I think this makes, you know, a great gift or something to have on your shelf. And, yeah, you know, that's that that's honestly my whole pitch. You know, it, it this book was, I believe it still might be, you know, the bestseller in the basketball category on Amazon Canada last week. And, you know, that's incredible. You know, I, I know we've been doing a lot of interviews to try to push this project, both Sean and I. But I think a lot of it is just Raptors fans. You know, Raptors fans wanting to, to, to scoop it up and to have something that, that they can have on their shelves to, to really just keep those memories. I, re, I really look at it as kind of a historical document. So if you're interested, again, you know, We the Champs, Alex Wong, Sean Woodley, it's available for pre-order on Amazon. And, you know, we're trying to figure out with the publishers. We believe it'll start hitting retailers, your chapters, Indigo, your local bookstores, I believe early next week. That's exciting, man. And thank you so much for coming on and doing this. I had a I had a fun time talking with you. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. And I hope we can do this again, connect in the summer, maybe talk about Kawhi staying. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to, man. Uh, I'll let you get back to your day. And uh, to the listeners, thank you so much for tuning in and have a blessed day. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.